This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy, tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe-winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next-level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX is the bear. All episodes now streaming only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My sponsors for season three of One for the Road are the amazing Rock Sober, a brand established in 2017 and led by brothers Sean and Lee, who are both in recovery and on a shared mission to inspire and support recovering addicts worldwide. Injecting rock and roll into sobriety, Rock Sober offers merchandise and accessories to inspire and empower its community of sober badasses. The boys have recently launched a new range of alcohol-free beers which are taking the market by storm. Every beer purchased will help Rock Sober on their mission to support and inspire more people in recovery. Their message is clear, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. So let's all rock sober and remember the good times with Rock Sober AF Drinks. My guest today on One for the Road is an author of Soulful Simplicity and Project 333, the minimalist fashion challenge that proves less really is so much more. And recently I also heard a quote for me, Minimalization is removing the things that remove you from your life. Alcohol removed me, so I removed it. How good is that? Ladies and gentlemen, Courtney Carver. So, hello, Courtney. Welcome to my podcast, One for the Road, uh, season three now. How are you today? I am wonderful. It's finally cooling down in. Salt Lake City, Utah, where I live. And after a really hot summer, <laughs> I'm excited for some fall weather. Do you like the fall? Because I, I'm a real summer person and we've had a pretty lousy summer over here now. So I'm grumbling about the fact that so <laughs> didn't even start. I mean, what would we complain about if there wasn't weather changing all the time? So 
I I stumbled across your account a few months ago, actually, and I think someone mentioned to me that um, they'd seen a post by you saying that you'd given up drinking. So I curtain twitched your account. And the thing that really, really struck me was how you like to minimalize things in your life. And I think we all are guilty of clutter. And, you know, in England, we've got a thing called the man draw. And a man draw has an old Nokia 3310 in, some spanners, a screwdriver, all rubbish that men collect and they put it in a certain drawer. Do you know what I mean? We call it the junk drawer. The junk drawer, yeah. Yeah. And I've got a man drawer um, and there's old bank cards in there and SIM cards from, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but that immediately attracted me to to you. And then um, I read your post about um, giving up alcohol and I then realised actually we're quite close to our sobriety dates and I think you're coming up to a thousand days yourself, which is absolutely amazing. I am. I'm really excited about that. And I didn't know how close we were to our sobriety dates and I find that really encouraging. Encouraging, but also what you didn't know is that I think you gave up like me because when you wrote the post, you said you wasn't aware it was your last drink, your last hangover. Right. I Yeah, I didn't quit on purpose that day. I thought I was just taking a break because I had a bad hangover. And sometimes I would do that if I felt really crappy. I would just give it a rest for a while. So we'll go on to that in a minute, but I'd love to um, wind it back to when you started drinking, because most people listening to this now know that I was 14, my mum left and... I kind of spiraled out of control with my behavior. I was bunking off school and I ended up getting into the wrong crowd. And that was hanging up around the shops, asking adults to buy us beer. And in those days, they would say, yeah, all right, mate, here's, you know, we'd give them a couple of quid and that and they'd go on the off license. So how old were you when you started drinking? Yeah, probably 13 or 14 as well. And to be honest, it was just really normal for for all of those things to be happening, to be drinking at parties, to be um, asking people who were old enough to buy us alcohol, um, to take it from our parents' house, whatever the situation was, it didn't. And I use that word normal very lightly because I don't think we, anybody knows what that means anymore, but it felt normal to me. Like this is just the thing you do when you're in high school is you go to school and you party with your friends. And so I did a lot of that through high school, through college, definitely through my 20s. And then it was just, again, never, it didn't really feel like a problem. It just felt like a thing that you did. Yeah, I was the same. I mean, I quite often went to school with a hangover and it it was a laugh. There was one morning I woke up in my dad's trailer in the front garden because I I think I drank a a large bottle of martini or something, which (laughs) makes me want to be sick now. And I thought, you know what, I walked this girl home, I think, and then I remember being on the pavement kissing this cat. I mean, I was only about 15 and I forgot my key and I thought, well, I won't wake my dad up. So I laid in his trailer because it, it felt like a huge, lovely armchair you know and it was obviously a soaking wet trailer in the front garden and woke up I was like what am I doing you know always seems different in the morning so 
because you are in Utah, what what was your sort of favorite drink out there? What what were you drinking at that age? So I grew up in New England. I've only I've been in Utah for the last fifteen or sixteen years, but I grew up in New England, and I, I don't know. We would pretty much drink anything, so beer or wine or cocktails. Just it wasn't like I had a favorite thing. It was just anything, yeah. and anything that was easy to acquire or something that somebody had <clears throat> whatever was the the most easy to access was probably the preferred drink and did you get yourself in any trouble with it or was it just like being a teenager and yeah and there wasn't anything major um i think that i almost got arrested once for buying alcohol with a fake id but I didn't like there were some definitely some near misses, but not any major like rock bottom situations. And I think that's why it was so easy to maintain for so long. And for a long time, it was fun. And then it was, is this fun? And then it was a lot of, it felt like alcohol management, like something that I had to really take care of and and be careful about. And not that for me, it was never like an everyday thing or a get really drunk every time you drink thing. It was more like a a drink socially, mostly responsibly. And then every once in a while, I would have too much. And those every once in a while were usually like family gatherings, vacations, like the stuff that you really want to celebrate and also kind of ease the tension. So I'm definitely an introvert and I didn't know that for a really long time, but alcohol really served me in that capacity because if I was doing functions for work, it would make it a lot easier for me to enjoy myself and connect with other people. If I had had a few drinks or these are the stories I told myself at the time and same for vacations. Like that was a time to really let loose and enjoy and, and, and drink and spend money and, and have a great time. And for whatever reason, I would have like this amnesia about how it wasn't always a great time when the next time came around because I had put enough distance in between that terrible hangover or those awful things I said, or that like ridiculous thing that I did and would only remember the kind of good times about the trip. And then the next trip would come and the same thing would happen. And I started to notice the pattern and started to question my drinking. I mean, more than a decade before I quit drinking. But the 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 more that I questioned it and the more that I thought about it and the more that I had to decide like should I have one, should I have two, what'll give me the least hangover, what'll help me to sleep the best. When I realized those questions I was asking were more about how to manage it than how to feel good, I kind of knew something was shifting. I think we all ask those questions, but the denial kicks in sometimes, doesn't it? And you you kind of put it off, don't you? I mean, I had those conversations for years and years. And uh, because I lived on my own, I was accountable to no one. So they were the internal dialect to have myself only lasted till the next drink. And and then I, I just had this ongoing battle with myself about my health, how I was looking, the weight I was putting on. And I never had the conversations about, is this actually serving me? Is this making my life better? You know, you have these fake beliefs. I need it for my confidence. As you were saying about the social events you were doing, or a couple of ones before to give me a bit of 
Dutch courage and stuff like that. Or I've got a busy day tomorrow. I need I need a few drinks to help me sleep tonight. And as we know now, it doesn't help any of that, does it? <laughs> Definitely not. Or I need it to unwind after mm-hmm. a busy day or a stressful day, thinking that that was going to take the edge off. And it did for what, 10 minutes. (laughs) That's all. And then I'd need more to take more of the edge off. And then I would get edgier. And then the next day I would feel awful. Yeah. And that, that amount, like the older I got, the harder, harder it was like even a glass or two would make me feel a little fuzzy the next day. So would you call yourself then in those days, a gray area drinker? No, I was really careful not to label myself in any way when it came to alcohol, because I had had some very, I don't know how to say this, but like traditional, what traditional alcoholics, people who you just knew were alcoholics in my life or who that I could clearly see that, that they would say that about themselves. And I didn't line up with that because I wasn't drinking during the week for the most part was typically only on weekends, sometimes during the week, but I could say it wasn't usually during the week. And so I always had like a, something to compare myself to where I looked or I could see myself in a very different light. So even when I was questioning, do I have a problem? There were enough markers to say that I didn't, where I didn't have to put a label on myself and therefore I felt like I didn't have to take any accountability or make any changes. And I'm grateful that I've learned that I didn't need a label to make a change. I didn't have to experience anything that anyone else had or look a certain way or feel a certain way to just decide this wasn't for me anymore. I just think because I'm a gray area drinking coach that people can identify that more because there's the narrative of I don't drink or I'm an alcoholic. So when people see that spectrum of actually, I don't drink every day, I drink with my dinner, or I haven't had a rock bottom, is that big bracket where people sit in and it and it kind of makes it easier for them to identify to it. So grey area drinking these days is where actually a lot of women sit, to be honest, because I find with men, they binge more, you know, they they have large quantities of drink. And I mean, I binged every single day, so I certainly wasn't one. So at what point then did you, I think I read that um, in 2011, was it that you Did you address your relationship then or did you write yourself something? So just to back up for a minute, the the reason that you read anything about me is because I started a blog in 2010 about simplicity, about simplifying. It had nothing to do with drinking or sobriety. And I never thought that I would ever talk about it, write about it or, or stop drinking. That was never part of, I never considered that for myself. I didn't want that in those days, for sure. And in 2006, after just months of feeling really terrible, like debilitating vertigo and fatigue and numbness in my face and my hands, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And that's what set off this, my simplicity journey, my journey to want to de-stress, to get rid of the things that were weighing me down so that I could slow down MS progression and relapses along with 
you know, medical treatment and working closely with a neurologist, I knew from my research that stress was a big component. So I was working to reduce that. It, it didn't cross my mind that alcohol was stressful. I thought it reduced stress, just like I thought shopping was reducing stress. <laughs> yeah. And and so in, in 2011, I had been, I think, blogging for a little over a year. And I did write about alcohol because I had some questions about that. Was it was I an alcoholic? Did I have a problem? Was I drinking too much? And I concluded in that article that no, I wasn't. I was fine. And when I wrote about it again in, in 2020 or 2019, I might have written about it in fall of 2019 for the first time. I think I said something like if I could like send that person a message who wrote that article, I would have said, you don't have to label yourself to stop drinking because that I think is what I was probably waiting for. Yeah, I understand that. So when you say that you you stopped in January 2019, do you think you just had enough? Did you wake up one morning and think, I can't do this anymore then? Was it was it as random as that? No, it was it was actually not random at all. It was something that I did from time to time where I woke up, I was on a trip, so had been celebrating, felt terrible the next morning because I didn't sleep well. We were out late drinking, having fun, and I had a big hangover the next day. And I thought I'm I just need to take a break. And I thought I'll just stop drinking for a month, which I had done plenty of times before with not, it wasn't a big issue for me to stop. And I know it's different for everyone. For me, it just really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but I, I knew I had a trip coming up to Europe to spend time with family and that I would be ready then to have a glass of champagne in Paris and uh, drink on this family trip. I, it, like I, that crossed my mind. I processed that information, which was just me continuing to manage alcohol. And then after the 30 days, I still didn't feel like drinking and a little more time passed. And I did a training for transcendental meditation that I don't want to say this is the thing that made me never want to drink again, but whether it was a coincidence or a placebo effect or something else, as it turns out, after that, I never craved a drink again. Wow. And since then, like I've, I've not, I've meditated every day since then with this TM practice and have heard other stories of people who had addictions or things that were going on in their life that they just didn't want to do anymore. And so I'm not, I want to be really clear that I'm not saying if you do TM, you will never want to drink again. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm just saying that is what worked for me, or it seemed to have a big contributing factor to me never wanting to drink again. And when I went on this trip to Europe, I didn't drink the entire time. It, I, and I didn't want it, which is weird because if I was normally sitting at a table with a, an Italian dinner, I would want a glass of wine with that. And I didn't. I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything, like I was sacrificing anything. And so then the hundred day mark hit and I still hadn't said I'm never going to drink again, but I just knew I wasn't going to. And here we are coming up on a thousand days and there hasn't been a day 
where I've thought oh, I could really use a drink right now. Well, I know the listeners now will be going, I want to hear more about this uh, meditation. So can you tell us about that? Sure. So I meditated prior to this with things like Headspace and the Calm app and guided meditation and had been practicing like lightly meditating for many, many, many years. And I found it to be very helpful and valuable, but I could never do it for very long. And I would miss long stretches. And I was curious about transcendental meditation and what it was. And, but I didn't, I just didn't follow through with it until March of 2019, when I finally went to a local teacher. So you have to be trained one-on-one and then you do some group sessions and then you're doing it on your own. And it's 20 minutes a day, twice a day that you practice. And what was so remarkable to me, and I, I can't share the science and why this happens because I honestly don't really know. But when I was trained in that very first session, it felt so good. Like it just felt good. And normally meditation for me is, you know, 10 minutes of me trying to just calm down and be in meditation. (laughs) And this was just the way they describe it. And what resonates with me is they describe it as like, when you, when you're not meditating, you're kind of on the top of this choppy sea in life. And TM is just like dropping below the surface where you don't have, you're still there. You're still in the life, but it's in this really smooth area And that's what I experienced. That's what I felt. And I don't even know if I learned that until after that I had started practicing. I think I had read that analogy, which just really rang true for me. And I expected that to wear off. Like this is just something new and I was excited about it. And so I felt this way, but even this morning when I meditated, I got that same feeling like it just kind of washes over you. And it's not that you're not in your thoughts and that you're very enlightened and just have figured out the meaning of life by any means. But it is this 20 minutes twice a day where it is really a different feeling for me than anything I've ever experienced. That's really all I can say about it. And something that I have been able to maintain consistently. Like I've definitely missed doing it twice a day, but I've never missed doing it once a day since March of 2019. That's never happened to me. In, in terms of meditation or most habits. It sounds absolutely wonderful, actually. And the way you described it, when you're not doing it, it's a choppy sea and you just go underneath the surface and it's sort of calming. I could really feel that then, you know, because when you give up drinking, it, you're completely out of your comfort zone, aren't you? You know, for me, I was drinking 40 years and I didn't really have any other coping mechanisms. It was good day, bad day, any day, Uh, let's have a drink. You know, as we said before, I need it to sleep. I need this coping strategies. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're out there on your own. So something like that sounds really amazing. Uh, And and I've talked to people, they they do somatic work, uh, breath work. And I think it's what suits you, isn't it? You know, it's got to suit you. Exactly. Yeah. The message is not do transcendental meditation. The message is figure out what works for you and try anything you want to see what what does benefit you. For me, it was exercise because uh, I put on a lot of weight when I was drinking. And um, a friend of mine said that he was doing the London Paris 
cycle ride. And I said, oh, I can do that. And he looked at me and he went, well, we'll have a chat about that. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, okay, then, what are you trying to say to me? So I did some training in a garage on a thing called a turbo train. It was where the back wheel goes on this, like, rolling road. And I had this app that I watched on my iPad uh, all these like I was this animated figure, and I, and I was training every morning like six a.m. for an hour, and I started to lose weight. And then he said, "Oh, I join you one morning," and I was much better than him. So he said, "Right, let's do it." And uh, that week, uh, a month later, we did uh, London to Portsmouth, and then London to Brighton, and then London to Paris, all in about three months. And uh, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. You know, and and losing the weight, looking better, will not. You know, comes with sobriety. Your skin clears up, and you start to sleep better. So for me, it was exercise. But some people, that's not their bag. And I say to them, well, find an old hobby. You know, some people used to do some watercolors or painting and stuff like that, and so they set themselves up an easel, and that that's really therapeutic. It's just finding something that can divert your mind i suppose reading i mean i did read something there on your instagram that was about the worry trap uh and the endless what ifs and i found that really interesting because we do worry don't we about what comes after sobriety what does that mean how do we socialize how do we this how do we that you know and you and what will people think yeah exactly and and you put in there be present you know like worrying is always about the past or the future you know and it's be present in the moment and i think that's really important to think about especially in the beginning uh and that's why we say one day at a time you know think about today yes uh Byron Katie has a great quote, and I can't remember exactly what she says, but it it sums up to if you could separate yourself from your thoughts right now, are you okay? So no, don't worry about what you're thinking, but are you okay right now? And if I'm not thinking like I'm not okay because I have to do this thing tomorrow, or I have to talk to this person tomorrow, or I have to, then yeah, I'm great. Everything, like I'm looking outside, it's beautiful. The the sky is blue. I'm like sitting in a chair in a comfortable home. I'm like, what is the situation right now? So whenever I feel anxious or worried, I, I really try to notice as quickly as possible and just come back to where I am right now, because I don't know if anyone has ever thought this, but quitting drinking doesn't solve all your problems. (laughs) It doesn't make, it doesn't make the, the stressful things go away. It doesn't make the world like a fairy tale, but wow, it really makes it easier to handle. That's for sure. Definitely. Uh, I've found that I rationalize things a lot more, but you, I think you'll agree with me that when you're drinking, it kind of dominates your thoughts from the start of the day to the end of the day, doesn't it? It definitely can. You know, and, and that is so draining on your energy, isn't it? Because you wake up in the morning and you're full of regret. And then, I mean, you didn't drink every day, but some people listening to this do, I did. And there's a hamster wheel of repeat where you have the same dialogue in your head that in the in the morning up until midday, one o'clock, you, I'm not drinking tonight. You know, the usual conversation, then you start to come out of it, have a bit of lunch, and then you think, you know what, I might have one tonight, just one by the afternoon. Well, I could have a couple. On the way home, you're getting two, three bottles of wine. Then it starts again. 
you know. So when you stop drinking, that is such a bonus. A lot of people don't actually talk about is the space it frees up in your life. And you talk about minimalizing space and living. That is a massive part of that, isn't it? Because it just gives you all these opportunities to do other things. Yeah, I didn't know in the years that I spent simplifying my life, which included, you know, massive decluttering, paying down a bunch of debt, um, changing careers, like really a major, pretty major life overhaul that took many, many years. But I didn't realize the thing that would simplify my life the most was not drinking anymore. I mean, no more decision fatigue, no more, like you said, kind of regretting anything that may have happened or anything that you agreed to, or which could have been as simple as just agreeing to get together for coffee with someone when you really didn't want to do that, or just not feeling clear and aware and present that. So I always think like alcohol, I, I like to remove things that remove me from my life and alcohol removed me from my life. So I removed it mm. because once I understood that is what was happening and maybe I understood it before, but wasn't really ready to put words to it. But once I could clearly identify that it wasn't for me anymore, I don't want to be removed from my life. I want to be in it as I want to be in it for the wonderful stuff. I want to be there for the hard stuff. I want to be here for it. I did read that and I thought that was really um, powerful what you said there. So I removed it because do you know what that tells me? That tells me that you gain control. And where you had that meditation uh, and you have that, it's the way I did it was, do you know what? It's this relationship I've got with alcohol is dominating everything in my life, all my thoughts, my actions, my decisions, it's dominating my relationship with my wife and my children. How can I get out of it? It was like having a mistress in my life that was tapping me on the shoulder, texting me, oh, do you want to see me tonight and have a good time? It's like, no, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I, I can't get rid of her in my life because I think too much of her and she's been there forever and that. And I thought, do you know what? I've got to dump her. I've got to dump her and take back control of my life and... That's what I did. So for me, it was my mindset. I had to have a really strong, positive mindset that this was it this time. And I gave up on that day. I literally stopped. I had no idea. So the night before, I, I would love to go in a way and go back in time to see that last glass of wine because I don't remember it. Because I, I had a terrible hangover on the 7th of Jan 2019. Uh, and and I'll tell you, everyone's probably heard this, but um, I received a text from a friend saying, how how would you like to join me in giving up alcohol? Uh, and that language changed it for me. It wasn't like you need to stop drinking, otherwise your marriage will end or you're going to have a heart attack. It was how would you like to join me? And uh, that sunk in throughout the day. So that night I shook his hand and that was it. And that was the last time I ever drank. And it feels like a miracle to me feels like a miracle but I also had to have the resolve to be able to do it so that included going through the triggers and the cravings and the times of sitting with my feelings that I buried in alcohol for years and years and years and that took some going um was there times for you that although with this meditations really helped was there time for you that you struggled at all no not really and here's why and again I know it's different for everyone but I feel better when I'm not drinking. And so for that first 30 days, I kind of revel in that. I feel so good. Yeah. 
And then shortly thereafter, I started with the, with the TM, but no, I, it wasn't a struggle for me not to drink anymore. And, but that's also not true because I guess I struggled not to drink for many, many years prior to that. You know, there was a part of me that wanted to let it go long before I did. And I think that is a path that all of us take, you know, not many people are stopping the first time they realize it's not serving them. So I guess I did struggle up until the day that I stopped drinking and then it wasn't a struggle. And for me, the control story was almost opposite of yours where I was just sick of controlling, trying to control alcohol and manage that and make decisions around that. So I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to have to control things anymore in that sense. I just wanted to be here. (laughs) And I was spending so much time, even when I wasn't drinking, like you said, thinking about drinking or thinking about not drinking. I think I over, I, I thought it all the way through and there was nothing left to think about anymore. So you kind of just let it go, didn't you? Yeah, I definitely did. And And granted, like I've let go of a lot of stuff in my life and didn't consider that I would ever let go of alcohol permanently, but I did. And I'm grateful that I did. And I can't imagine, I really can't even imagine having a drink right now. It's a really interesting view on how you've done that. And I can kind of see how you have, because you're all about minimalizing things in your life, aren't you? Making it simple making it easy and I feel quite envious of you actually because you've just managed to do that and I can see now how you have done that it's almost like your your training of getting rid of stuff that we hold on to I remember you saying uh in one of your things your posts about um get rid of clothes still with the price tag on and I have those clothes, you know, where I've bought it off a whim, put it in my wardrobe. My wardrobe's crammed. But I don't want to get rid of it because I've not worn it yet. And then I think, well, would I actually wear it? Why haven't I worn it already? Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, why? There's got to be a reason. Was I in a particular mood that I was rewarding myself that day of, oh, I'm going to buy a nice shirt, that one I do, and put it hanging out and actually not like it after or all these thoughts you have. And so the way you've minimalized your life, I think is probably a credit to how you've given up drinking as well. I mean, I'm sure it definitely helped. It made me realize after going through so much of letting go of things I thought I would never let go of, it really made me or reminded me not to believe all my thoughts. Like everything I think isn't reality. Yeah, you are not your thoughts, right? Exactly. So how did this start for you? Did you reach a point in your life that you, or have you always been like that, minimizing things or? No, I, I was, I, I shopped all the time. Oh. Um, so, and, and spent money all the time. I wasn't on that path at all. It wasn't until, like I said, with this MS diagnosis that I really wanted to learn how to live well with this disease. And eliminate as much stress as I could from my life, knowing that there's a lot of stress that I can't eliminate. That's not within my control, but what is, what is within my power to not have to deal with anymore. And so it was, you know, it started for me, like really looking at what I was eating and how I was taking care of myself. And then it went to debt. I mean, I had been in debt since I was 18 years old and my entire adult life always in debt. And so it was getting rid of that, that took 
several years. And then it was kind of at the same time as the debt, the, the clutter, like I have to stop bringing things in, but I didn't think of my clutter as stressful until I really started paying attention to it and realizing that's where all my money went. Like, why did I buy this thing that I just have to clean all the time that I never use or enjoy, whether it's a, a article of clothing or something in my home. And that's not to say I own nothing. Like I have things and I'm grateful for those things, but they're things that add value to my life instead of, again, removing me from my life. Like I don't have to buy something new for every new event or new whatever. And I think the last couple of years has really helped us see that (laughs) we don't need a lot of, of extra stuff. But it was, it's just been a, a great process for me to let go of it and realize how little I need to be happy and how I was really overwhelmed with, with stuff and busyness and like everything. It was just too much. And I think that a lot of us experience that. And instead of addressing it, because of course I had felt like that before, I would just like make myself busier so I didn't have to think of it or buy more stuff so I didn't have to think about it because I didn't see the solution. I couldn't see the solution. I thought I had to keep living the way I had always lived. I can relate to that, you know, and I think there's probably a lot of people listening to that that can. And for me, it was my lack of self-worth that I used to buy things to make me feel good because I didn't feel good about myself. And one thing was watches, right? I I had to have a nice watch. And I, I started with an Amiga Seamaster, sold that, and I bought a Rolex, GMT sold that and bought a Rolex Batman, right? And it was 10 grand. And I walk around with it on my watch thinking I was the dog's, you know, what's. And I realize now that it was that I had such low self esteem and self lack of self worth that I was dressing myself up in all this stuff to externally make me feel good. And it actually didn't. It didn't make me feel good at all. And actually, in, in the end, my Rolex got stolen. So, uh, wow. yeah. And that was a whole new story. I had a year leading up to me giving up drinking. Um, that was an absolute disaster. We got not for a lot of money with a builder. Uh, my Rolex got stolen. My mum became ill and died. Uh, and it was a really, really awful year. I had my rock bottom moment. Um, the four days in Eastbourne that I've talked about before where I nearly killed myself drinking. So when I stopped... That was almost like a declutter in itself, you know. It, it, it was like ripping my blinkers off because all I did was walk around with my head looking down at the floor. You know, woe is me. Um, what have I become? Who am I? You know, I used to look in the mirror and hate myself. And when I stopped drinking and I ripped those blinkers off, I looked up for the first time in life. And I saw the sky, as you said earlier, and I saw the sun and the trees and the birds and it was real living. And sometimes when people say, you know, about reality, reality is what you make it, right? It can be absolutely wonderful. And of course, you've got the real life when the brown envelopes hit the mat and you think, oh, God, how am I going to deal with that? But that's real living. But the benefits of giving up drinking far outweigh the hangovers looking in the mirror, feeling anxious, feeling depressed. And, you know, I'm a real advocate for promoting it. And 
I love hearing your story because it's simplistic in itself. It's, it feels like there's no complications to it, you know, and I'm sure that's got a lot to do with how you live your life, which I really admire you for, actually. Well, I appreciate that. When you were talking about, you know, buying things to make you feel better, I definitely did that too. And I'd like to think of that as the myth of ownership. Like if I own this thing, then I will be this person. And we do a lot of that, like aspirational buying. Like if I buy this Rolex, then I am going to be the kind of person who wears a Rolex, but we never stop to consider like, but who am I really? Like, who am I? Who am I right now? Mm. And how can I be more myself? What, you know, maybe I don't want to manage keeping track of a Rolex and maybe you love Rolexes, which is fine too. I don't have anything against that. I just think we all have to see that for ourselves and not be trying to buy our way out of, shop our way out of, drink our way out of who we are. I just love your your mindset, but not everyone's able to do that. But I think by taking out all the clutter of alcohol in your life, giving us all the opportunity. And sometimes it's about simplifying life as well, because so many people, they focus on giving up drinking. The first 30 days, they 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 worry so much about how complicated it can be. And I just love the way you frame it of just letting it go. And maybe that's a lesson for all of us in this, you know, to try and let it go and focus on here and now. And and who's the real authentic you in this? And and I, I mean, sounds to me like you, you haven't really changed that much since you've stopped drinking, but I have. I've changed a lot because I, I'm more grateful for the the essence of me, who I really am as a person, externally and internally, you know, not what I'm wearing, what, how I can impress you with rolling my sleeve up a little bit. And you go, oh, is that a Rolex Batman? I say, well, it was, but it was Nick. It was a fake. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? There's a lesson here. And um, I think you've taught me a lesson, actually, because I think I did a post uh, on Instagram a few months ago and it was a pile of clothes and I just threw it all on the floor and I think I was talking about decluttering then alcohol out of your life then and um, yeah I, I think it's brilliant so what's um, coming up for you in the future then because is that right you've written a couple of books I have written a couple of books I wrote a book called Soulful Simplicity which is really about my journey to simplify for better health And then I wrote a book called Project 333, which is all about the minimalist fashion challenge I created, which I keep thinking about when you mention your piles of clothes, um, because it's a really fun challenge where you dress with 33 items or less for three months and you hide everything else so that you can really sample a simpler life and see if you enjoy that. For me, it was really made a huge difference. I've been doing that for... 11 years now, which is kind of wild to think about. And uh, the, the two things, like two of my bigger projects right now, I have a podcast called soul and wit that I do with my daughter, Bailey. She's um, 26 and we've been recording and sharing for a couple of years now, and it's been really fun. And then I have a membership program called the simplicity space that is just my my real joy in my work. Uh, it's a, a great support group for people as they're simplifying their life because like not drinking, when you are making a, any big change in your life, 
even though you might have wonderful people around you, they might not really understand the journey that you're on. And so to have that support is really special and important. I mean, whether that's a not drinking support group or a simplicity support group or whatever you want support for, I mean, that kind of goes back to finding what's best for you and really giving yourself permission to want what you want and do what you need to do to feel good. I love that. Well, look, Corny, I've absolutely loved talking to you. And I think I've learned a lot myself from this conversation. And I feel like I want to go in now straight to my wardrobe and remove some things and try your 33 item challenge. I think that sounds like a fantastic idea. So thank you so much for sharing your story with me. And uh, I hope we speak soon. I do too. I really enjoyed our conversation and I appreciate the time to be able to talk about this. Lovely. Thank you, darling. Thanks ever so much. Bye. Bye. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. One for the Road can be found on all the usual podcast platforms. And now you can subscribe to my new platform on Patreon, where you can watch the live, unedited video recordings. And you also get two bonus podcasts per month. The link is on my show notes. You can also find me on Instagram at SoberDave. And please don't forget to subscribe. And if you get a chance, please leave a review. Until then, have a great week and see you next time.